Hello and welcome to Out and About in Malovians. I'm your host, Jeremy Barfer. As part of my job as a member of the Scottish Parliament, I get to travel around Malovians, meeting interesting people and hearing about their companies, charities and projects and what they do to benefit and contribute to our community. On this podcast, I will share their stories. It's great to be able to welcome David Field, the Chief Executive of the Zoo here in Edinburgh. David, you arrived right at the start of a pandemic, uh, an empty zoo. Um, just tell us a wee bit about why you came to Edinburgh and a bit about how you got here, a bit about your own story. Oh, well, um, coming to Edinburgh, it was coming home. Uh, almost 28 years ago, I was here as uh, head keeper. I had this weird title called section moderator, but... I spent the most incredible time here in formative years um, working under the brilliant people like Roger Wheater, the director at the time, and Miranda Stevenson was the curator. And then from Edinburgh, I went on to Dublin Zoo and helped build the new zoo there. And then I went on to London and Whipsnade. But the chance to come back to what, for me, is the greatest city in the world, but also potentially the greatest zoo in the world, and put Edinburgh Zoo back at the top table as far as zoos are concerned, was a, a, a huge and wonderful opportunity. I've been in this, this zoo world since I was 12 years old, um, and Edinburgh Zoo and the Royal Zoological Society of Scotland is such an incredible, iconic place, and to be part of it was uh, a unique opportunity for me. So, eager to come back. Obviously, um, a lot of us who have been brought up in Edinburgh or who've lived in the city, we, we know of a zoo, because it stands there on top of the Stopping Hill. <laughs> but perhaps we don't know a lot about the history. How did we end up with a, a zoo on Stopping Hill? Can you just give us a wee bit of it about the, the background of the history of the zoo? Well, it's, a, it's an incredible history. And, and even within Edinburgh itself, it wasn't the first zoo. Uh, at one point, there was even menageries on where the mound uh, is in, the, in, the, in, in, in Edinburgh uh, city. And even the first African lion to be born um, in in the UK was a lion born uh, in the menagerie in the mound. It was called Wallace, of course. There was a zoo in, in Broughton Street, the old zoo there, which didn't work. But when it came to Castorfin and came to, to, to its present location, it was the brainchild of the incredible Thomas Gillespie, who's we're sitting in his library, we're sitting in his office at the moment, and his wonderful picture is, is on the wall. And Thomas Gillespie there had this idea about creating this unique collection in Edinburgh back in the early 1900s um, and crucially um, there was two big partnerships in creating this zoo one was with the Salverson company and the Salversons were uh, were influential in bringing many species to the zoo that's why we ended up with king penguins and be so famous for king penguins because the Salversons were bringing them back to uh, to Edinburgh Zoo but also, and I think this is the most exciting bit, the architect at the time for the zoo was somebody called Patrick Geddes, uh, the, the amazing social architect who was building so many wonderful things across Edinburgh. But the idea within the zoo was that it was a place where people could come and get out of the city, get out of the pollution, get out of the smogs, but come to the zoo and embrace nature, have a place for where everybody could come and see nature. And we're going full circle with that now because that is what's driving very much our future 
and getting people out to embrace nature. So the zoo, as it opened, became a great place for science, it get a great place for families, great place for unique animals here uh, for people to see. And at that time, Edinburgh, was, the Edinburgh Zoo was just a, a real catalyst for bringing people close to animals. And that's what we're bringing back now. And as well as that, it's not just about people coming to see animals. You, you have a real role within conservation, within breeding, within how we maintain, you know, with cl uh, climate change happening. Can you tell us a bit about what you're doing, not just here in the city, but actually thousands of miles away? The fundamental role of a modern zoo is certainly is about conservation. Everything that we do do is ultimately about protecting, uh, valuing, and even loving um, nature. And the work that we do around protecting those incredibly endangered species is, is hugely important. We are putting animals back into the wild. And that's not enough people, not enough zoos can say that. Your zoo, your Edinburgh Zoo is doing that. So we are working, whether it's in Scotland, where we are reintroducing the pine hoverfly. We care about the little guys. <laughs> where we're putting the pine hoverfly, or we're working with flapper skates out on the coast, but we're working in Scotland. And of course, we've got that amazing wildcat reintroduction program going on. But further than that, we're also working with uh, the species across the globe. Uh, our wild genes laboratory, our conservation genetics laboratory here at the zoo, which is funded through people coming to the zoo, is able to provide the essential planning knowledge, that genetic knowledge which guides conservation planning in the wild. But we're also out there doing it. We have colleagues and projects out in South America where we're working to, uh, with species like the giant anteater and the giant armadillo. And of course we have our amazing project which is the Badongo uh, chimp forest where not only are we working to help preserve the chimps but providing community support, providing scientific research, which brings together that holistic nature of zoos, protecting the animals in the field, researching them, but also linking it right back to our Badongo exhibit here at the zoo, where again, we're breeding our chimpanzees, doing the science that informs conservation. The work that we're doing is at the foremost forefront of, of conservation and work that Edinburgh and Scotland can be absolutely proud of. I mean it's interesting when you talk about chimps because I think my first memory of Edinburgh Zoo would be back in the 1970s um, and I was coming to the, the monkey's tea party. Now obviously we've moved on a lot, zoos have moved on a lot but there is still conversations going on to say you know is it right for us to have animals in this type of environment? D just tell us how the zoo has evolved over the last 30 or 40 years and and, and, and why do we need Edinburgh Zoo still today? Oh, that, no, that is a, that's, a, that's a question for about a three-hour lecture, I think. Uh, but I'll try and bring it down. So, you know, I think it's important you have that memory of that chimp's tea party. Let's step away from the ethics of that for a moment. But you have that incredible memory which has sat with you forever. And you went on to become a member of the zoo. You, you obviously have an appreciation of nature and a love for nature. And what sparked that? Could it have been that, that kind of experience around the chimpanzees? And I think that's important that we remember that, of course, we should critique the past rather than criticise it. We are the guardians of the past as much as we are the architects of the future. 
And that emotional experience that you had around those chimpanzees, we have to translate that as to what is ethically acceptable now. So the experience that we, we create within Edinburgh Zoo, when people get the full-on multi-sensory experience of getting nose-to-nose -nose with a giraffe, or through one of our demonstrations, they're getting so close up to a, a wonderful barn owl that might be flying across the top of their heads. It's not about teaching them biology. It's not about teaching facts. It's about creating experiences that the hairs on the back of your neck start to rise. And you again, you fall in love with animals. If we can get everybody that comes to the zoo to fall in love with animals and appreciate nature a little bit more, and then when they go and, and leave the zoo, they start to do their little bit for nature, their little bit to help promote and preserve the environment, then we can change society. And that's why zoos are so important these days. We have a hugely ambassadorial role where we have across all those good zoos, and there are some very, very bad zoos, but there are also some brilliant zoos. Uh, and we, we work to improve zoos across the globe. But in those good zoos, they are driving so much support for nature both emotionally, societally, financially, as well as all the conservation work that we do. And there are things that we can do that no other conservation organization can do. Promoting that emotional experience with animal, promoting that ambassadorial aspect, but also the techniques that we use to care for our animals in the zoos. They're now being translated into field programs and field conservation. So the work that we do is even having more, more and more resonance for the amount of conservation that we have to do in the wild. And I get it. I get the fact that there are some people that just don't feel comfortable with animals in the zoo. And I get that. Uh, in terms of care and welfare, we know how to look after these animals. We know how to do that. But when you get in terms of our purpose and our mission, whether it's our conservation, our engagement, or our community mission, they're absolutely vital. But when you get the IUCN, which is the World Conservation Union of Nature, who are saying, we need zoos, then we have a role. I, I mean, I, I have to say, just sitting here and, and just listening to your passion um, really engages me, and I'm sure we'll be engaging more, but I, I listen to it. So we've come through this pandemic, um, you were one of the first, certainly I think for me, one of the first things to open post-pandemic, certainly in Edinburgh, and people could come back. But we're looking now to what's happening in the next few years. Just tell us a bit about what's, what's exciting, what, what, what gets you up in the morning about the future for Edinburgh Zoo? Oh, that's a really great, great question. Um, you know, just getting up in the morning and being able to come in and see, I call them my animals, there are animals, but you come in and you've got that beautiful, iconic song of the gibbons. That just makes me want to come in and get close to the animals. I'm still, I'm still a, an animal man, animal boy through and through. But it's what change, what impact that we can make. What I saw through the pandemic more than anything else, especially when we opened, was the support that we got from Edinburgh, um, from King Craig, where our Highland Wildlife Park is, from Scotland towards its zoo was incredible. I, 
we opened our hearts to the to, to Scotland and the Scottish people responded immensely it was incredibly moving I think I think Scotland and Edinburgh fell in love with its zoo again and for us now it's about is payback the right word but actually I think in essence it is because we saw the the social value and the value of this organization during that pandemic where we saw families coming together for the very first time and I really understood the importance of the social value of our organization as well as the conservation value so what gets me up in the morning is making sure that Edinburgh Zoo is at the very very top of its game it's it's recognized globally but it means something to everybody in Scotland and it doesn't rock everybody's boat but we have put together so much work into our new strategy going forward which will be launched um, uh, it, very soon in fact it, we're probably launching after this podcast has already has, has gone out uh, but that's so exciting because it takes us from a whole community work right the way through to our conservation work and it's just something that we're all going to be proud of and I want all Scotland to be part of I, I mean obviously I have a disability I'm, I'm keen to eat disabled issues obviously the health <laughs> is an issue whether you're an older person or you have mobility issues or whether you're slightly overweight like myself um, but I know we, we, we were talking before we started this just a wee bit about how you want to be more accessible generally can you just tell us a bit about how that fits into that strategy and what, what can we look forward to in the next few years? Uh, absolutely. Um, it's not just about doing a wee bit. I want this organisation to be the exemplar in terms of accessibility and inclusivity. Uh, and that's fundamental. Everybody has the right to experience nature. And that's what we can deliver. Sure, we have some challenges like the steepest hill that ever there is. So in the, in the slightly longer term, we're already looking at the way that we have our footpaths and, and site master plan. Because actually, uh, rather than taking the, the, the steepest point from A to B, if we follow contours, it actually eases it quite clearly. So that's a slightly longer term. In the shorter term, and what we've done already, we've already brought in a whole range more of mobility scooters that can get even me, the size of me, from the bottom of the zoo up to the top of the zoo. And, and something which really bugs me about sometimes when you go to these to visitor attractions and people have to pay for the mobility scooters, that's not inclusivity, that's not accessibility. So our scooters, although we only got sort of about 10 of them, they are free, they're absolutely free. And we bring in more, um, more suitable wheelchairs that can, that can challenge our, our environment. Um, we will be bringing back some form of road train in due course. We're already trying to maneuver the pathways. But you know the difficulty with the road train? Getting something that is electric that can take enough people to the top of a hill uh, that isn't diesel and spewing out all environmental uh, issues is the bit of a challenge. But we've already put on more mobility vehicles. But it's also, as well as that kind of physical challenges, we've got a whole range of uh, other elements going on, like uh, packs for, for people that need to come in that may have autism. Just simple things like, like quiet places, simple things like earphones, and simple guides. So there's a whole range more we're going to do. Changing places, so, so important. 
Why we haven't got one already, I don't know, but we have it. It's ordered, it's bought, it's just about to come in. We're waiting for the final building warrants. So this summer we will have a changing places here and one is due, is being planned at the Highland Wildlife Park at the moment. There's so much we can do. And, but there's also so many other accessibility and inclusivity challenges. Some of it is finance, you know, and we want to work with communities in, in Edinburgh initially and then wider about how we can facilitate access to the park. Access isn't so difficult, it's the transport. It's buying lunch, it's that, some very practical aspects. And we've got some great support from companies where they believe in our community strategy, our community ambitions, who are helping to sponsor this. This is just gonna grow and grow. So I'm, I am hugely ambitious and I hope you come back to us every year and call me to, what's, what's the words? Call me to account on whether I've achieved or not. <laughs> Well, I'm pretty sure that you will have. Um, I I was discussing this with my uh, two daughters at breakfast, and I said, what question would you like to ask? And their question was, do you have a funny story about any of the animals, either here with you in Edinburgh or where you were working in other places? Are there any funny stories about the animals you can tell us? Oh, golly. Um, which are the ones which are allowed to be said on on air? <laughs> so I think, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a few, and I guess... One of the, the weird ones which I talk about is that uh, when we used to have gorillas here, um, they were down where the sort of uh, old panda enclosure, and, and I was head keeper at the time, and there was this amazing big gorilla called Kambuka. Um, uh, but there was also some um, beautiful female gorillas, Yinka. Oh, beautiful, beautiful Yinka. But my wife-to-be was the gorilla keeper. Now, my wife-to-be has actually gone on to be the director of Jersey Zoo in, in uh, the old Gerald Durrell Zoo. But whilst we were here, the male gorilla used to see my wife as part of his harem. Whereas the female gorilla, Yinka, loved me. So there was a level of jealousy going on. And the behaviours that would go down there amongst the gorillas when they saw me and Leslie together uh, uh, was, was, that's probably not for air, actually. <laughs> um, but it, it you, you you get this you get this passion with the animals you yeah. get this this linking they become part of your family so you know there are there are times when I've found it easier to commune with a gorilla than I had with my wife. Right. Well, maybe we just let your wife know that before <laughs> you uh, we go we go live on this. Um, our time is coming to an end. Um, I always like to finish with one question. I'm is my magic wand. So if I give you this magic wand and you can change one thing or change something that would make the your, not your job necessarily easier, but the, the work of the zoo, wh what would it be? The wish, the wish. My wish is that every one of us could love nature just a little bit more. And we as the Royal Zoological Society of Scotland and Edinburgh Zoo, I think we can help do that. If we can all love nature and do our own a little bit more for nature, then we can change the world. David, I, I, I've done a few of these. You have come across with real passion and real excitement. And I'm sure I will be going, I'm sure others that listen to us will be coming back to the zoo soon and will be telling our friends. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. You're all very, very welcome. 
Well, David's uh, left the room, so to speak, but it's been great to hear about the Jews and what's happening, particularly around, again, around accessibility. So let me encourage you, whether you live in Edinburgh or the Lovians or the further field, why don't you visit the Jews and experience it for yourself? Thank you for listening to Out and About in the Lovians, and I look forward to catching up next time.